Hello and welcome back to the Rugbysville podcast, supported by the Rugby site. I'm Josh and I'm back again this week with Max. Hello. And we got a we got a pretty full show. Um, we've got a ref for the Six Nations, and that's all officially done and dusted, even though the table was pretty much set in stone last week. Then we've got a look at the Super Rugby, the round four and five, and the table, how that's shaping up as we get further into the season. Then a look at what's happening with the Brumbies at the moment, which is quite interesting. And then a quick uh, Avivrim Pro 12 recap slash preview looking forward. So should we just crack straight into it? We should, probably. Should we not? Fair enough. Well, we had the final round of Six Nations games. and there was some, scoring. There were some interesting scores in there. I feel like everyone was kind of like, okay, well, we can't really win or lose now, so we might as well put some points on. <laughs> First game we had Wales versus Italy. Wales won that 67-14. Well, it's not really surprising, is it? The Wales have looked fantastic. Italy have looked lacklustre. Yeah. yeah. None of that really surprises me at all. Does it surprise you? Um, not overly. Yeah. It was was nice for them to get uh, six tries to six different people, which is a nice wee touch. Um, Bigger kicked really well again as he tends to do, and then also for Italy to get some points is always good, but obviously when you conceded 67, it's always going to be a bit tough, but a good result for Wales to end that, uh, to end the tournament for them, Um, and then in that second game of the weekend, we had Ireland v Scotland at the Aviva Stadium in Ireland, and Ireland won it uh, 35 to 25. Get up. They, yep, yeah, I mean, you did pick them, so I guess there's some, uh... Get up, Ireland. Some bonus points in there for you. Thoughts it it on was the... a good game of rugby, to be fair. It was, like, it was, yeah. It was interesting to watch. Ireland, I don't know whether they looked that much better than the English team on the day, but they got the Scottish. job done. Than the Scottish team. They looked... About the same as the English team on the day, because the English team didn't play on the day, but that's okay. Um, but, yeah, awesome for them to get a win, to get up into third place and finish in third. Bit more respectable than finishing in potentially fourth. Yeah. Oh, potentially fifth, sorry. They could have dropped right down, depending on results. But um, four tries to three, was it was nice for both teams to get a lot of, uh, well, enough tries. It was just, it was a no, it was a nice game of football to round out the, the tournament. Just, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed for Scotland not getting, uh, getting the result, but that's rugby on the day. You can't win them all. Um, then the final game of the tournament, we had France playing England and at Stade de France. And England got up on that one, thirty-one twenty-one. And unfortunately, England won the Grand Slam. <laughs> ah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Well, um, I can't really say unfortunate. Do, are we allowed to be biased? Probably not. I mean, our journalistic integrity is at stake, but that's not saying much. Unfortunately, England won a Grand Slam. <laughs> I was thinking, was it? Um, interesting in a game that was that high scoring that there were only three tries. 
obviously England kicked four penalties and two conversions, and then uh, France kicked seven penalties. So that's uh, not really exactly the kind of French football that everyone loves. But George Ford was outstanding. Played One of the best games he's played in the entire Six Nations tournament. Yeah, kind of just demanded the field a lot. Moved, they moved the ball, got to the got the ball to the wide areas better than they. I think they have been doing for a lot of the games, which um, is obviously good when you're trying to run the ball. And obviously, a big shout out to Dan Cole getting a getting a try. It's always good to see a front rower dotting down. Always a nice little touch. And then if we look at the table as it ended, we had England in first on ten points, three points clear in the end. Um, having not lost a game of yeah, Wales. Well, they went undefeated, so it was really comfortable for them in the end. Yeah, and then Wales in second on seven points, so that, that win in their, uh, in their game kept them, guaranteed them second spot. Ireland coming up to fifth. Um, to third, even. Com- coming up from fifth to third. Oh, there we go. Um, obviously, they would have liked to do a lot better this tournament, but... A more respectable finish. Yeah, I think the th- those those latter results were definitely definitely made it more of a uh, respectable place. And then Scotland in fourth, swap, uh, swapping places with, uh, uh, well, I dropping down one with Ireland going above them, um, and then beating France on points difference. And so France are in fifth, and then Italy rounding it out with no points in the end. Which I think is a bit probably harsh on them because they definitely at the start of the tournament looked interesting. They looked like they could challenge some teams, but they didn't go on to do that. They kind of um, lost a few key players and then um, didn't really put up much of a fight in those latter games. But looking at the tournament as a whole, are there any surprises there for you, Maxi? Slightly surprised that France didn't do better than what they did. Mm. Um, obviously, England winning a Grand Slam has to be touted as a bit surprising. Yeah, they were kind of an unknown uh, entity coming into this with the obviously the new coach and uh, a lot of, not turmoil, but a lot of change in terms of selections and stuff. So for them to go undefeated is pretty, pretty huge. And you can't, if you say you aren't surprised by that, you kind of have to be either lying or delusional. Um, the Eddie Jones effect... Plays out once more. Um, a fantastic contributor for the rugby site, Andy Jones. Yeah, just uh, there's a real interesting interview on with him on there about um, team chemistry, and I think that's a huge thing that has played a role in this English grandson. Because you could see even after that first game that the players were just enjoying their rugby for the first time in a few years for an English team. Here's and, here's something interesting I want to bring to you. Do Italy deserve to be in the Six Nations? That is interesting. I think... Bias aside, do they deserve to be in the Six Nations? I mean, if you look at the results, possibly not towards the end, but then even at the start, they challenged... Like, they challenged France in that first game, I think. Um, And there, there were a few interesting results in there. And... I think if you're going to keep it as Six Nations, then who are you going to replace them with? See, well, then you have I the Six that Nations, to you. and then you have the European Nations Cup underneath it. 
and you could create almost a promotion a, relegation. A two tiered something that's a lot of thoughts gone into at the moment, like a promotion relegation two tier. You bring up a nation like Georgia or someone like that who continually improve every year, and we haven't seen that sort of. Would you go straight the worst team in Six Nations drops down and the best teams in the European Nations Cup comes up, or would you go that they play off? I'd say you probably have a playoff. Yeah, because I was going to say, on that alone, I don't think Georgia or someone like that would probably, they'd probably just get a bit rolled as it stands, but move, if that was the incentive for them, then moving forward, like, the whole adage of like playing it's the best makes makes you a better team. If there was that opportunity for them, then they might step up their game a bit and try and maybe win that promotion playoff or however you set it out to get in the Six Nations. Because it would obviously be huge in terms of like like TV and publicity for the countries and stuff. So I think that would be quite a quite a cool idea, personally. I hadn't really thought of it. Like I'd seen it speculated a bit, but I hadn't really thought of it as a legitimate option until until now. Um, it, it's something that I think almost needs to be done to improve Italian rugby. Because probably, I think there's a bit of complacency there as well, and it'll improve European rugby yeah, in general. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. But I think really just having to really work a lot harder to stay up in it, and maybe... Maybe something like if you finish bottom three years in a row, you're gone or something like that. Um, or, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they would do around that if they were going to do it. And um, it would it would up everyone's game in Europe because the, the teams at the top can't afford to have a bad year or they could be out of the Six Nations. And the teams at the bottom have to keep pushing for a Six Nations spot, because if they get it, then that's absolutely massive for any small, like, rugby, um, any small rugby nation to get a Six Nations spot would be huge. So I think it would definitely put the pressure on teams like Italy and, um, yeah, to 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 keep fighting in those in those later games as well. It could add some, a bit more suspense than there has been in the, in the past few weeks. Something that's all... Also, been talking about a, on a step down from the international level is the feasibility of a European Super League. It would be quite interesting. It's always interesting to look at, like, not, and it's always necessary to look at the logistics of things like that in terms of travel and whatnot. They've already got the Champions Cup, so I'm not 100% sure whether you'd need. But... 50,000 people turned up for that Georgian Romanian final for mm. the European Nations Cup. It's it's not like the the crowd and the support wouldn't be there for a, for a Six Nations birth. No, yeah, like it'd, be, it'd be massive because the turnout would most definitely be there. Yeah, it, I I think it could be an interesting uh, idea to um, look look to and look. It would probably just liven up Northern Hemisphere football, uh, rugby, for. For a long time, which would be, which would be good, be a nice wee uh, incentive for everyone to kind of keep playing and more more rugby's good rugby. So 
I'll, I'll, I'll take any, any tournaments that pop up, really. So moving down to the Southern Hemisphere now, um, we'll look at the Super Rugby and what's been going on there, which is a... Uh, well, uh, I, know, I know how way. you like your draws. I do love my draws. And we, had, we'll, and we had a couple. We'll start off at the top. The Hurricanes hosting the Western Force. For but, 60 minutes, the Force were in that game. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big game. And it was, as you say, it was a close game for a lot of that. It was and very then interesting the Hurricanes to see how it ended. really, really showed their class and pulled away towards the end. Um, they're improving week by week. And as we said, they're going to need to have a good stretch of wins in a row if they want to get anywhere near a respectable position come the end of the year, and they're, they're starting to deliver now. Yeah, they're kind of right on the edge of that uh, um, that wildcard spot, which is kind of hard to believe looking at where they were, but but they are now, so I guess you've you've got to take take what you get and kind of results have been going their way in terms of like the Chiefs losing one and the Blues obviously this week, but it's kind of compacted a bit and it's quite good to see that no one's really out of it. Where a few weeks ago we kind of thought that with the bad stuff the Hurricanes had, they might be fighting an uphill battle, but they've kind of already fought it now. Dane Coles um, coming back was a huge difference for them. You can see the difference he makes as a leader, but also as just a, a steady source of offense and defense, roaming in the wide positions that he does. I think you can't really guess the the amount that they. What, what am I looking for? You can't overestimate his influence. No, yeah, he's a huge, um, he's a huge player. He's a huge impact player. He got a try, which is always nice for a front rower, as we said before. Um, I don't know whether you can really call him a front rower. He's more a no, yeah, he's a he's a ranging front rower. You'd classify him more in like the the ten twelve region because he scores about as many tries as them. He, he does seem to. He just, he's very good at attacking, getting in the right position, and then he's very good with ball in hand. He always seems very composed, which you'd have to kind of... I'd, I'd be interested to look into his uh, background in high school and stuff and see if he has ever played in the backs, because any time he's got, got the ball in hand for the All Blacks, he kind of just... Like, I remember step, him stepping a fullback last year. I mean, I think we were... I think that was against France, and I think we were at quite quite a lot, but he kind of... No, it was against Australia. Was it? I remember. remember I, it was. It's a vague memory, but I, it, oh, I know what you're talking. He's so about. good on ball, and I, it, it's kind of amazing to see a front row with that kind of those kind of ball skills, and yeah, it's just great to see for for New Zealand, New Zealand rugby. Game two of the weekend, the Waratahs hosted the Highlanders, and the Highlanders nearly choked. Yeah, very interesting one. The Waratahs, what Waratahs? The Waratahs came back hard. Came back. The hard. first fifty minutes was all Highlanders. It was pretty, the first half. Yeah, it was, it was the definition of a game of two halves. Really, it was twenty-one-six at half time. Then, even after that, the Highlanders, it's probably the first sixty or so minutes. The Highlanders came out and scored another on the other side of half time, and then. Boy, did the Waratahs come back. Curtly Bill couldn't catch a cold in the first half. <laughs> I can. dreadful. But, uh, yeah, Waratahs I'm... running in two tries in the last 10 minutes? Yep. 12 minutes? Something around that, to, 
kind of really put the pressure on. They had they had a good amount of time at the end where they had a bit of had a wee bit of position and could have could have hit back, but Highlanders held on there. Definitely an interesting game for the Highlanders there, and I think a good indicator moving forward that they can win those close games and even when they lose the momentum, that uh, that they can they can hold out in that last five minutes is a real good thing in my opinion. Elliot Dixon, um, nice for a six to cross with two. Liam yeah. Safwanga, outstanding again. Liam Squire, good to have him back. Ben Smith, just as usual, self at the back. Good win. Yeah, Ben Smith wasn't as flashy as normal, but still had the most uh, metres on the field for either team and was just, he's so good. Like, even when he doesn't score, he has such an impact on the game. And, like, he beat six defenders from fullback. He's, even when he's not popping up scoring tries all the time, he's doing a lot of that, a lot of that niggly work that doesn't get seen as much, which is why you can't really underestimate. He's so, he's so, he's so good. I can't, I can't even start to... You're running out of superlatives. I, I am. All I can say is he's so good. Like, he... Like, didn't miss a tackle all day, ran hard all day, and it's just amazing start to finish. And some um, crucial tackles in there as well. Moving on to Saturday, the Bulls hosted the Sharks, and Joe Peterson eat your heart out. But hey, um, hey, what about Josh Cheeseman eat your heart out? Joe Peterson, he missed the kick from virtually in front of the posts to win the game. For the Sharks, um, I feel like everyone's reactions when they'd won the penalty described yeah. how bad a miss it was mm. because they were celebrating as if they had just won the game. Um, you it, can't put the loss on one player, obviously. No. They should have put themselves in a better position to win the game, the whole team. But that'll, that is certainly disappointing for them. Yeah, and obviously it also looking at those last kind of two minutes of the game, the Bulls did get a penalty that they did put away. So um, kind of goes both ways, and I do love a draw, but um, Bulls kind of clutched it to, to get the draw, and then the Sharks did almost the opposite. And also, I, th- I guess it's also you got to question what the Bulls are doing giving up a penalty in that kind of position. It's kind of preposterous that late in the game that's already tied for you to go and infringe that. Well, I don't know if it was too blatant, but it was, it was definitely a penalty. And that really could come back to bite both teams, not... Well, obviously the Bulls will be happy, but the Sharks, um, they definitely got reined in a bit after their impressive performances in the last few weeks. And one one team that's been playing quite well and continued that form was the Rebels, going to, this, to- going to Tokyo winning 35-9. The Summers were their woeful selves, really. Three PC penalties, the only... The only points they could manage, and there's just not really too much to say about that. The Rebels were clinical and put on a professional display against a team that was very subpar. I would tend to agree. The Rebels 
have been looking pretty good. We both picked them ahead of this game. Um, and I feel like everyone wants the Sunwolves to do well, but there's just something not quite clicking for them yet, and it could just be being a new team. Um, I remember when the Rebels first started, they were a bit like that. Kind of everyone wanted them to do well, just for the sake of Super Rugby, but they kind of couldn't get results together, so maybe looking forward we'll see what happens with the Sunwolves. And obviously I like, I enjoy having them in the competition, but I think it adds quite a lot to have that Japanese team, and obviously the Jaguars as well, but just not quite happening for them yet, still still winless, which is never never nice to see. But uh, moving on to another, another winless team, we've got Crusaders walking through the Kings, uh, 57-24 in the end, at home for the Crusaders. Um... They just looked real comfortable, really. Even when the Kings scored that first try, the uh, they didn't. They weren't worried at all. They continued to play the way they did before. No, there was they conceded, and as as we've seen in the Crusaders in the past, there was no panic there at all. Um, that Nandolo try that they got back in was very nice, and they had quite a few nice tries, and then topped it off in the end with the. Um, Played really, as soon as they went down, they played the rest of the game almost perfectly. Like They conceded twice in that second half, but, I mean, you can't really put too much past them when you've put 57 points on the team. They played pretty well after they conceded that try. As I said, they didn't really switch on for the first kind of 10 minutes. They gave a penalty, then they conceded the try. But they looked good on a whole. I think um, Karen Fonatia looked real good again. Obviously, he came in to replace Sean Wainui when he got that concussion. He played well last week, and he's played well again this week, in my opinion. Um, and Johnny McNichol, just huge amount of metres. He got 142 metres for uh, in the game, and they did they did kind of look to exploit that wing a bit, and did quite he did He did get about a 70-metre runaway, though. Yeah, exactly. Which, which sort of pads the stats a wee bit when it comes to metres run. It certainly does, but he... He, I thought he played very well as well. Um, I don't disagree. Any, any Anything to add on the game? Not really. The Kings, again, a new team that have been even worse than the Sunwolves. Um, yeah, there's not too much to say. But an interesting game, as you would call it. The Reds hosting the Blues. A very interesting. 25 all. And I, love, I love me a good draw. Again, a result that shouldn't have been a draw. The Blues didn't deserve to be inside that ga- in that game at all. No, they really didn't. The referee was... Careful. How do I put this? Very mediocre. There was one, one point in the game that comes to mind when a scrum... Some of you might not, might not be that fond of scrums. So <laughs> the Reds guy fed the ball straight down the middle. And there was about a pause throughout 10 seconds when you could just see the pressure. Neither of the hookers could lift their feet to, to hook to it back. It. And then the Blues end up pushing the Reds back off their own ball and the ref calls a scrum reset, which is... For no apparent reason. Like, the, apart he, from the fact that the Blues got a tight head, there wasn't much wrong with that scrum. Sione Mafeo coming on off the bench and getting Simbin for 
repeat scrum infringements, which we didn't really see from a dominant blue scrum. Yeah. Tana had a bit of a go at the ref after the game, but... You can kind of see why, because there's definitely interesting decisions in the game. Uh, I, I always hate to see a yellow card for scrum infringements, because I think a lot of the time the scrum's so poorly refereed that if you... If, as a whole, referees aren't fully in the know about scrums and the technical aspects of them and whatnot, which I think a lot aren't. I don't think... I think having a brother that's a, a, a front row, he, he in particular likes to point out that refs don't know anything about scrums at all when it comes to actual, like, who's dropping and whatnot. But I think... I don't. I don't think that should have been a yellow, in my opinion. Like it's obviously repeat offence is always annoying as well, but scrums in particular is kind of just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But but that's okay. And then Ehio West obviously slotting the pen in the eighty third minute to to draw the game up. Um, Something I'm slightly disappointed with was that penalty there, the eighty third minute. There was. We're doing two, three years ago now where they got a penalty in the 80th minute against the Hurricanes. And instead of taking the three to draw it, they went for the corner. They lost that game. But it's sort of the... the dignity and the the mana that you like to see, if you know what I mean. Where you're putting putting a bit of rip on the line, but in a tournament like this, one point really doesn't doesn't do that much difference. I understand what you're saying, but the it is an extra point on the table that could be crucial at the end of the year that could get them that wild card spot and they could go on to roll the roll through the uh quarters, semis and so on. But um It's just that they already had the losing bonus point, so they were already in one. They weren't leaving leaving without with nothing. But a win gets yeah, them that's true, three. Yeah, I see. I see where you're coming from there. I never thought of that before, actually. With a losing bonus point, that's why you see sometimes. Do both teams go for like uh, uh, to if you avoid the draw, then both teams. You're just kind of taking. If you get a draw instead of a losing bonus point, you're just kind of taking points off the opposition. Which could be crucial in this as well, because obviously those wildcard spots are for the Australian group, so Blues and Reds could be fighting for those, but I doubt that, because the Reds haven't been looking that great, but obviously at home they... That's the only way I can see it being important. They're actually taking points off the Reds yeah. rather than gaining points. And if it was against the team in that South African group, that's when I'd be especially disappointed. But yeah, because there's kind because, of no point to it. I see, I see your argument there now more than I did at the start. But yeah, I definitely see what you, what you're saying. The best Reddit comment goes a draw. That means they're both losers. <laughs> the only player that really came away with any dignity was the Kiriuane and Charlie Farmoina. Charlie was, again, brilliant. Yeah. I feel like he's very rarely a player that doesn't turn up at least at set piece. Like he's, I feel like he's quite consistent, which is probably not a 
not necessarily a popular opinion, but I think he's like he's always good at the set piece, and even when he's having a bad day, he'll front up in the scrums, which is good to see from a front rower, I guess. But I think Ehi West always also played quite well. Like he kind of looked a bit, the attack looked a bit stagnated at times, but obviously getting the penalty to win it, like it's not his decision to take it. So putting it over. Oh, here's something no. that also really annoyed me. What was that? He gets penalised for an intentional knockdown mm-hmm. and doesn't get sent to the Simba. I feel like there's definitely been... In, um, the, law, in the law book, an intentional knockdown is a Simbinable offence because it's an intentional foul. It's a professional foul, sorry. Which feel, is something that sometimes refs officiate it properly and sometimes don't, which is... It's aggravating in a way. I feel like that can be down to severity and whether, like, in certain, at certain points, it's you're intentionally knocking it down purely to stop a try, and sometimes they give a yellow card in replacement of a, like, instead of a penalty try, if it's too far out, but you think that was kind of clearly a try scoring opportunity, they'll give the yellow card. Whereas in that situation where he's more, he's kind of half going for the heart intercept, half going for the intentional knockdown. If you get what I'm saying, like I'm, I'm kind of speaking devil's advocate here because I agree. Like if it's if it says that, which it does, and there's I, I don't like inconsistencies with refs, but I'm kind of fine devil's advocate and saying it's probably not as severe as some of the as other knockdowns where people just go slap down the ball to stop a try where he was kind of trying to gain position in some way. He didn't just kind of slap it out of the air, if you get what I'm saying. Um, moving on. <laughs> we have the put Lions, quite a bit of effort into the into a Blues game. The Lions beat the Cheetahs 39-22, another good performance by the Lions. The Stormers and Brumbies, a big one of the weekend. 31 to 11, and the Stormers taking that undefeated tag off the Brumbies, which is. And the first disastrous TMO decision of the year. It was interesting. How do you get it there, Ryle? For those of you that didn't see it, one of the Stormers players dove for the line, clearly lost the ball, Lost, Um, lost control of the ball. It kind of stayed on his wrist. And then he landed on the ball, and he got up straight away, and like his teammates sprinted over to celebrate because the, the, a, a defender came across from the Brumbies, and got his the the, the um that was dominantly ha- carrying the ball, and dislodged that, and his hand kind of pulled the ball down, and then he put pressure on it with kind of his forearm, um and his teammates came over. Because kind of from a distance, obviously you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell. So they came over to celebrate, and he kind of, kind of said, "No, no, no, I lost it!" Like straight away, like he knew quite clearly. This isn't really building a fantastic mental image for me. I, I think you're gonna have to have to see it to really understand what we're talking. It's about. quite hard to describe without it just saying he dropped it and then landed on it, which is kind of what happened. But there's a bit more of a it was a bit more grey than that, but it was pretty clear that, firstly, he thought he definitely had dropped it, and it looked like he definitely had dropped it, 
but then the TMO gave it, so that's a thing. But I don't think overall it would have had a massive impact. Like, obviously seven points wouldn't have changed the game, but I think the Stormers looked pretty comfortable. I think for the first time the Brumbies didn't really look like... Um, didn't really look like fronting up. Um, but also interesting that the Brumbies kind of lost their call a little bit, like nearing the they, end of that second half. They, they bottled it under pressure. Yeah. And yeah. they haven't been really put under pressure yet. So, No, it's, a, it's definitely a, an interesting thing to note. And nearing that second half to have the, um, uh, nearing the middle, kind of past halfway in the second half, they had that red card to, I think it was Man Ray. Um, yeah. For throwing punches. So, it's kind of a sign that they definitely cracked, which is interesting seeing as they've been a team to look most composed, but it's kind of because they've always started games on the front foot. He definitely deserved to get sent for that as well. Oh, 100%. I don't think... Like, I'm sure he would have a laugh about it afterwards and say that he wasn't trying to throw a punch, but there was kind of multiple attacks at a head, so you can't really... Like, they... To be fair to the TMO, I feel like he looked at it for a bit, and he he got it right. It was pretty... Yeah. Moving on to the game of the weekend... I thought two draws for the game of the weekend. Los Jaguares hosted the Chiefs in what was can only be said as a fantastic atmosphere for their first game at home. Yeah, huge, huge crowd. And a fantastic game. Running rugby, the Los Jaguars showed their intent, how they wanted to play. It's It was a really, really good game to watch. If you only have time to watch one of these games and you haven't seen any of them yet, go and watch that. Fantastic free-running rugby. Damien McKenzie is continuing to put his hand out for that all-black berth. Where would you play him, though? Well, you wouldn't. Yeah, would you just bring him on from the bench, or would you try and find him a spot on the wing, now that they haven't got um, Milner Scudder? No. You, the only... Or do you just bring him on from the bench, and then when you bring him on, do you change your system to that more kind of cheese system where he's always joining the line? You have him purely in the team to gain experience and aid his development as a rugby player. And then if injuries come in, I'd say they'll... Well, the All Blacks will have multiple game plans that they use in different situations. And if you bring him on, I agree, you change to bring him on in a more Israel Dag type flow with the All Blacks. Yeah, the All Blacks have played that way before, as you say, Israel Dag definitely joined the attack a lot. Or a, or a Christian Cullen, where they get through and they and they really run with the ball, ball in hand type way. Yeah, he is obviously only 21, 20? He's 21. Yeah, he's he is very young, so just getting him in that squad would be a good thing for his... Uh, Development. development. There we go. We can both words. Um, but, yeah, I think it was good to see the Chiefs winning a close game. 
unfortunate for the Jaguars at home, but I think the Chiefs really fronted up. It was interesting that both teams were missing conversions. Like, there was seven tries and only two or three, two. Davian McKenzie, the, the smiling assassin, oh, again with a clutch. What a grin. A clutch penalty laid on. Hey, well, if it works for him, it works for him. Oh, I know. I I'm, I don't mind that at all. Like, you can take your boot off for all I care. If you get it over, you get it over. And it clearly worked for him on the day in that second half, knocking over a penalty and two conversions. So... Um, yeah, I think it would also be, it's kind of a very, a very much like a, a character, like a build character for him that, like, if he did turn into a great all black, then that could be kind of one of the things he was known for. And like, if he did end up taking out kicks, going over to Australia and smiling like that before taking one from like 40 out to, to win, that would be... Oh, it would just be amazing. Just that little, that wee little wry smile. Um, but yeah, obviously a great game, and it put the that win put the Chiefs top of that Australasian group. So looking at the table, we've got Chiefs uh, as the New Zealand leader, Brumbies still holding out that top spot as the um, Australian leader. And then Highlanders, Rebels, and Crusaders taking up the wildcard spots at the moment. But the Hurricanes are also very close to a wildcard spot. And Blue's not too far away, but apart from that, you don't really see anyone challenging for those wildcard spots for a few weeks at least. Obviously, Waratahs, Force, and Reds all can down the road, but those are the kind of the challenges. And then looking at the South African group, we've got... The Sharks up the top now, uh, with their draw, they held that top spot. Uh, Stormers coming back from that loss last week to go second, and they lead their group on 14 points, and then the Lions getting that wild card spot as it stands pretty comfortably as well. Like They've been the three standouts in that in those South African groups so far. Um, behind them, the Bulls, Jaguars, and Cheetahs have all looked okay, but not great, and then the Sunwolves and Kings have both struggled pretty uh pretty heavily so far but hopefully we can hopefully they can mount more of a challenge looking forward and uh looking to next week's fixtures oh not yet oh not, not yet. yet team not of the yet. week team of the week here we go so at one we've got chris eaves from the hurricanes oh well, firstly we'd like to point out this this is purely new zealand players we had a few uh a few comments last week making arguments for one Argentinian player. And so, yeah, this is purely for New Zealand players in the Super Rugby this week, playing for New Zealand teams, I assume. Um, at hooker, Dane Coles, first game back, was completely fantastic, a strong leader for the Hurricanes setup. You can't really argue. At three, we've got Owen Franks. A their scrum, scrum is just so dominant you can't yeah. have their, their set piece as a whole they're at, I think they're at 95% for um, scrums and 97% for lineouts or it's like they're in the high 90s for both and they're like first in both for all the teams in the comp so they've just been spectacular at set piece as they kind of it's kind of one of their um, foundation points as a club and I think he's definitely 
key in that. And jump on the rugby side as well and have a look at the the front row club. Um, Owen Frank's working on drills for young up-and-coming front rowers to really stay safe but also train hard. Yeah, and I think that's going up this Thursday. This is yep. the start of that series. So, um, yeah, go give that a look. And then who's your other, who's your other prop? Chris Eves, mate. He, he's already been done. Oh, fair enough. Blade Thompson and Sam Whitelock are the two locks for me. Sam Whitelock ran the ball really well this week. Fantastic. Um, hard hitting as well. Mm. And Blade Thompson just really gets through his work. Like, fair. Once at again, six, we've really got Elliot, Elliot Dixon. He scores two tries. Um, plays his core role well I as well. I thought tries didn't matter. No, but it's just a highlight to what he did. Does it Artie show Sabir? his work? Artie, Artie, well, you can't exactly score two tries and not get through your work. Well, no, you can't. I would have said the same about TJ last week. You don't, but he's not in there purely because he scored two tries, is it? Neither, neither would neither would of TJ be. But that's okay. That's uh, okay. You create your team of the week and then, and then you read your one out. Ali Sevilla, um, at seven. Just so explosive. He's everywhere. He does he is one of those players that does seem to literally be everywhere on the field. They'll get a breakaway and like like on the left wing and then he'll be supporting on the inside. Um, there'll be a like a, a tight ruck and he'll counter ruck it and yeah, like he just seems to be everywhere and do everything so well. Um, at eight we've got Jimmy Tupo from the Crusaders. Karen Reed was out in, out injured. Um, yeah, the game relies a lot on the eight running off the back, and I thought he did a really good job. I'm I'm pleased for him. Like, I think it's obviously good to see a bit of competition for those kind of those elder kind of veterans who. A lot of the time, don't have much competition. When you, like when you're that high, that like when you're that good in all black, everyone kind of just assumes that you've got a position week in week out. But you're definitely um, challenging there, which is good. Um, at nine, we've got TJ Perinara. That's a that's a, a, uh, a good call there, Max. And at number ten, we've got Lima Sapuanga, who. Continues to stand up as the leading candidate for the All Black First Five jersey. Yeah, yeah. Once again, can't really argue. Him and Ben Smith have both just been spectacular week in, week out. Um, um, yeah, continue. At 11, we've got Ryan Tongia. And at 14, we've got Matt Fettis. So you've got a, uh, got a Highlanders 10, uh, 11, 10, 11, 14. 14. Yep. It's a, it's interesting. I think Tongi went and uh, dotted it down with that try, and they definitely uh, ran through his win quite a bit. Fattis didn't have as good a game as last week, in my opinion, but once again, was definitely a uh, a presence. Um, at twelve and thirteen, we got a whole Crusaders midfield: David Havili and Kieran Fonotia. Mentioned Fonotia before. I thought like back-to-back games he's played real well. It's going to be hard for Sean Wayne to get back in that squad when he comes back from injury, but yeah, Fonte looked real good. I, I would have almost gone 12, 13, 14 for Crusaders with uh, Jimmy, Johnny, Johnny McNichol. Um, 
with that 70 meter try, but I understand your argument for fatters as well. And at fullback, um, the man, the myth, the legend himself, have a guess who? I can't, I can't tell whether you're going Ben Smith or uh, McKenzie. Ben Smith. The, Fair enough. I feel like we the, have to give an honourable mention to McKenzie every week. The stalwart of, of the squad. Um, shout out to Ben Smith for making it every single week so far. Um, he's the only one. Mm. And Lemus Hapuanga. So looking at the Super Rugby going forward, we've got some very interesting developments with the Brumbies organisation. And they've kind of been one of the one of the better teams in that Australian conference, and they've looked. It's disappointing. No, because yeah, because it, it comes so out good now the after they yeah after they, it's one of their best starts in, in their Super Rugby history, and then you and kind of get this information surfacing about what's being, um, colloquial colloquially called Brumby Gate. Um. It's obviously been going on for a long time, which is kind of annoying. It dates back to right back to 2013, but most of it happened in... Uh, 20, 2009, sorry, but most of it happened in 2013. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's just real... It's kind of sad to see what... It could like ruin the entire competition this year, depending on what happens with certain investigations and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we've got, got to give a thanks to uh, Wickes van der Merck, Vandermeerver on Reddit for um, kind of summarising all the information down because there's a lot going on. Um, but he made a really interesting Reddit post about it. So if you want to have a bit of discussion, you can go to go find that that and uh, look at it. But the Brumbies have had a lot of financial uh, troubles between 2009 and 2013, which we kind of knew at the time, but we didn't really know the extent of. People and, knew that they were in a bit of a financial turmoil, but nobody knew that it was going to escalate quite as much as it did. No, yeah, and they were making, they were losing about two million dollars every year on net. Um, and then in twenty fifteen, they brought in Michael Jones as as CEO to kind of he kind of had a long long reign in, in business, less so than in sport, and he, um, yeah, he was brought into in essence, steady the ship. Um, and he took the club from making a $1.6 million loss to a $1 million profit. So he turned it around by $2.6 million. Um, in, in doing so, he kind of got singled out as a troublemaker because he took quite a strong stance in a few negotiations with player contracts and as well as some like advertising sponsorship contracts and whatnot and kind of got singled out as... A bit of a well, he he did what he had to do to get the club to a profit, which annoyed people who were more possibly sentimental or, or um, it annoyed some of the play people around the club. Um, but in going back into the finances, he discovered some quote highly questionable things about the sale of the club's headquarters in 2013, which they sold for $11.375 million, uh, which was obviously prior to him arriving. But he found some discrepancies in that transaction. They haven't been released what they were, but as soon as he found them, the Australian Federal Police started investigating um, 
a number of dubious transactions between 2009 and 2013, which relate to the 2013 sale of the club's old headquarters. And in doing so, the audit they audited more than 50,000 emails at the club. So obviously, it's a high-scale investigation going like going through almost the entire club. Yeah. Like if, if you're looking through 50,000 emails, it's that's there's a lot going on there. Um, at that point, there were a lot of very annoyed parties in and around the club and obviously some uh the Reddit post calls and nefarious characters started to slander Jones and kind of try and tarnish his name so the investigation got less rep- uh reputability. Um and then last weekend um Jones went on ABC Grandstand um, to claim that the Brumbies would cease to exist if he decided to fight against those people attacking him and question the club's investment in a new headquarters at the University of Canberra. Um, and he made the statement that says, it will have a major impact on Australian rugby, rugby because if the Brumbies cease to be an entity, which is one of the very foreseeable outcomes and has been a stated outcome of some of the people having a hack at us, if that was to happen, the ARU would be in default to the Sanzar Agreement because they are required to field five teams every week. So obviously it's got a huge um, scope on Southern Hemisphere rugby as a whole and could be a bit of a worry in the long term. And um, last week he also got stood down um, but they decided not to sack Jones or terminate his contract. And a lot of people in the industry uh, understand this to be because the club would have to foot uh, the bill for a uh, payout should they cut their ties with Jones. Um, who, and he does have another two years on his contract. So there is a lot of speculation about how they would have to go about that and there is possible. There is a rumour that the ARU might uh, put up the money for that to uh, terminate that deal. Um, But yeah, there's a lot going on and obviously it's still uh, continuing with the results of the Australian Federal Police investigation. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It would just be really disappointing for Sanzar and the ARU in general if if something turns turns out to be... Well, there's clearly something going on there, but if it turns out to be something that takes down the Brumbies, which is obviously quite a big club, one of the early Super Rugby teams, um, and yeah, if, if they did get taken down in this process, it would be quite, uh, quite sad. To be honest, there's not too much we can say about it at the moment. We can't draw conclusions or anything like that. So we just got to really let it pan out and keep up with it and just really see see how, how it all pans out, I think. it's Yeah, obviously there's still a lot of details that we don't know and we will get to know once the investigation gets released or whatnot, but that could still be years off. We don't really know what happens. And for now, the problem is we just have to keep playing, keep winning games and hope that, hope that it's not all for nothing. So after that uh, Brumbies chat, we'll have a quick look at the uh, European competitions at the Viva and uh, Pro 12. 
firstly in the Aviva we had a very interesting week. Um, change uh, change of lead as well, which is kind of unforeseen before now. But we had the uh, first game we had Bath beating Newcastle 21-19, very close game. Um, doesn't do much for either team really. They're both quite low down. Um, then we had the Warriors beat Harlequins 21-15, which is probably a, a bit of an upset for uh, I would say for the Warriors to win that game. Uh, they were in tenth before this game, and Harlequins were in sixth. So. We'll be interested to see how that pans out. Then we had Extra playing Northampton. Extra won that 20-12, to 12, which proved very necessary when Saracens lost to Leicester. So Leicester moved up into fourth with that win, which they won 21-13 at home, and Saracens dropped into second. So it's the first time Saracens kind of tripped up. Oh, they tripped up a couple of weeks ago. But they tripped up there... Exeter went top, and then Wasps beat Sale Shark, Sharks, so not just the one, but uh, so Wasps stay in third, and stay very close now, that uh, they're only six points back from first now, which is very interesting, and Sale hold in that eighth place, but drop points, um, and then London Irish got a win, which is only their fourth win of the season, and they got up over um, Gloucester. So interesting week of fixtures there, and looking forward to next week with the one big fixture, the only really real fixture we have to talk about, is Saracens and Newcastle. Uh, sorry, Saracens and Exeter. I was thinking about um, Wasps as well, but Saracens and Exeter face this week. Saracens at home, they can get back into first with a win here. Obviously a huge, huge game. But um, but yeah, it, it'll also be interesting if they get a draw or if Saracens do win because Wasps have a pretty easy game against Newcastle and that's where I was going before because Newcastle are obviously in 11th. They've only won four games, so Wasps should be comfortable there. Um, away from home, but... Still, an extra obviously would be wanting to get a win to hold that first position. Um, so the only real change on the table this week is extra moving into first, which is always a huge change, so, uh, replacing Saracens, who are now in second, and Leicester moving into fourth, going above Northampton, who now drop into fifth. Um, then we look at the Pro 12 real quick. We only had two games this week, and they were both catch-up games. We had Cardiff beating Munster... 37-28, uh, which neither me or you predicted, which is um, quite interesting. Um, a real big win for Cardiff as well. Munster could have jumped into fourth, but did not, because they did not win. And then Glasgow against uh, Leinster, and Glasgow got up in that, which neither of us predicted. Um, 12 to 6 and so Glasgow move up into 6 they jumped over Edinburgh there and they've still got a game in hand which they'll be playing in Zebra in a few weeks time um, 
in which they could they can actually jump over Munster as it stands because they're in the same they're only behind Munster on uh, points difference at the moment. Um, but looking forward to next week, Connacht has got a very big game against Leinster. So in both Aviva and Pro 12, you got first playing second this week, which is a pretty huge and pretty rare. I think you you obviously couldn't uh, couldn't predict that at the start of the season. So. It's interesting to see what happened there. Scarlets have got Os- uh, travelling to Ospreys, which will be interesting for them. Obviously, they'll want to stay in touch with those leaders. Um, and then Ulster are playing Glasgow, who obviously got that win over Leinster. So that could be another big one for Glasgow there. And then they could move up into into striking place of those top two teams. And I think that's about it. I believe that is it. I think we've covered all of it. Well, it's not not it. If you catch my drift. I, I feel like that means it's it. Um, so, obviously, as Josh mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're sponsored by the rugby site. So jump on and have a look at the new content. As we talked about a couple of times throughout the podcast, we have an awesome Eddie Jones interview that you should listen to. It really highlights the changes he tried to make throughout the England camp that really held the Japanese in good stead throughout there, the couple of years he was in charge there. Um, the front row club as well. The front row club. Starting up this week. And we've Sorry. got some new content with Mike Friday. All his new content's coming out in the next few weeks. Some of it's already out. Um, so that's obviously to do with sevens. And looking forward to Rio, it's always good to kind of up your knowledge on that, I think. It'll definitely get a lot of world for you. So, if you kind of know what you're doing, then you can you can be the smart one in the room. Um, and then also check us out on Facebook. Obviously, follow us on Twitter. If you're listening on SoundCloud, give us a follow and a like. Give us a comment. Tell us whatever you want. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, subscribe and a rating would be amazing. If you rate, we will uh, give you a shout out. Whatever you say, as long as it's like within reason. Um, any opinions you want to add, you can chuck them there, and that would be great. Um, anything else? I think that's about it, really. I think we covered it. Are we out? We're out. We'll see you next week. We out. The Rugby Spiel Podcast. <laughs> Podcast.